Good to be in church this morning. Are you ready for the Word of God? Are you feeling energised? Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, let's jump into Scripture, but uh, let us just pray first. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we come to you in worship. And we're stretching out our hands because we know that you are the God that hears, you are the God that answers, and you are the God that saves. And Lord Jesus, whatever we've been through this week, whatever challenges we're facing, we just leave them with you and we say, Lord, we choose to enter into all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I want to start a little series on forgiveness or forgiven, past tense, forgiven. And uh, this is part one I'm going to jump into this morning. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 9. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. Um, some of you have it on your apps and stuff like that, but we'll have it come up on screen so you can see what is what on there. So Matthew 9, verse 1 to 8. And getting into a boat, he, that's Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, they brought him a paralytic lying on his bed. And Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise up, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and he went home. Forgiveness is a topic that we often hear a lot about, but I wonder, do we take forgiveness to heart? Do we understand that forgiveness is a divine action, and it's God's way of giving us a fresh start? However, it's more than just a fresh start. It's more than just a second chance. Forgiveness is an absolute way of life. It's how the people of God the baptized, forgiven, uh, new creations. It's how we operate. These new human beings, part of the people of God, the Christ followers, have this unique identity as now we are forgiven and we are accepted and we are part of the family of God. It's this new creation, the new humanity. It's the restoration uh, as it meant to be in the beginning and now. God is making it possible for us to do that today. And this identity supersedes, it supersedes our race, it supersedes our, our gender, it supersedes our ethnicity. It is now who we are. We identify ourselves, very popular topic today, identity politics, but we now identify ourselves as children of the living God, forgiven, baptized new creation. And in this series, I want to talk about what forgiveness means to these Christ-following people of God. Because forgiveness allows us to walk free. We saw that man as paralyzed was walking free. And first, it's receiving our forgiveness from God. Second, it's how we forgive others. And then if I get to it in a couple of weeks' time, how we can actually forgive ourselves. So what is forgiveness? Well, Human forgiveness, how we operate with one another, is, or asking for forgiveness, 
it begins by apologizing, doesn't it? Um, it then says, uh, to apologizing to the person that you have hurt, saying sorry, explaining your actions for taking responsibility, not making excuses for what you did, and tell the person that you plan to make things better between you and them, and then how you will act differently in the future. And that's all you can do. If, if you've hurt somebody, humanly speaking, you can reach out and say, I'm sorry, and do it that way. But then it's, of course, up to them, isn't it, to whether they accept that. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself to another week about forgiveness. But in our story here, there's this paralyzed man, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't immediately say, get up and walk. He immediately says to him, your sins are forgiven, my son. Isn't that a wonderful way to speak to someone you don't know? But maybe Christ perceived that his sin was weighing heavier on his heart than his, uh, his paralyzed body. Maybe it was a first century common thought that because he was a sin, sinner, that's why he was paralyzed. But that's not what Jesus is, is talking about here. And we see that Christ wants to have relationship, and relationship is, 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 is a barrier because of the sin. And we don't think this man sinned against Christ directly. There's no evidence of that. And, and Jesus then, if you read John chapter 9, deals with the whole issue of sin causing sickness or sin causing blindness. This is not what Jesus is teaching here. But he says this, doesn't he? He says, what is easier, healing paralysis or forgiving sin? And of course, what is immediately followed is judgment by the people who upheld the law, the keepers of the law. And this anger at the suggestion that this human being could forgive sin when only God could forgive sin. And Jesus calls himself the son of man. I'll get to that in a minute. But knowing you're a sinner, knowing that you've fallen short of God's glory, I think is sometimes difficult persuading our modern culture that there's anything wrong with them. Because we're told, you do you, you be who you want to be, and that's fine. But my point here is while we don't see that we are sinners, or maybe we have the attitude that we do what, it, we, do what we like as long as it feels good, and then morality becomes relative. Or maybe we see ourselves as right in our own eyes, you know, making ourselves equal to God in deciding what is good and evil. And I seem to remember Adam and Eve got in a bit of trouble for that in the beginning. So the question for us modern hearers today is why would we need forgiveness? What have we done that's so bad that we need a savior? And I'm wondering if our culture kind of thinks that way at times. And Paul writing to the church in Rome, this was a culture that wasn't living according to the Jewish law. He's writing to the church in Rome, mostly Gentiles, but there's a mix in there, if you know your history there. But he speaks of the whole of humanity are in the same position when it comes to their relationship with God. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, or Gentile is non-Jew. But he makes it clear in Romans chapters 1 to 3 that ignorance regarding the Jewish law is no excuse for these Gentile believers is they all need Jesus Christ. And I think that's where us today, whether you understand 
the origins of the Jewish law, you understand where God places his law or not. Romans says this, it says, the wrath of God, this is Romans chapter 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. What is the truth? Because ever since creation, ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, God's nature is displayed within our nature, our creation. His eternal power, his deity has clearly been perceived in the things that we see, the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. All have sinned without the law will perish without the law. And all have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And then Paul continues in chapter 3, stating emphatically, uh, there's no advantage to following Jewish law or not following Jewish law. He says, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God has a plan. And this plan he had from the beginning of time. And he writes this to the church in Ephesus. And he tells them how God chose you to be in Christ before the foundation of the world, to be pure and spotless. This is God's aim to walk in relationship with us is that we may walk before him blameless. We walk before God with a heart that says and knows that I am truly forgiven. And it's the glory of his wonderful grace, he continues, that he's lavished on us so freely that he destined us to be adopted into his family through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? And in verse 7, we'll pick this up, Ephesians 1 verse 7, he says, In Christ, because that's where you are now, you are in Christ, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins according to the riches of his grace. You know, your sin is forgiven because of the richness of his grace, not because of the depth of your sin. And the riches of God's grace are shown in Christ in his walk, in the way he dealt with people, in the paralyzed man. But it's also dealt with eternally in our redemption some 2,000-something years ago, that he has provided a sacrifice for us once and for all time. And by faith, we are adopted into the family of God as the people of God. That's point one. Point two is, a, is another story I want to have a look at from John chapter 8. And it's a time when Jesus' authority is being challenged or being questioned. And it's a matter of would Jesus follow the law or would he not follow the law? So early one morning, Jesus was at the temple, which was his custom in those days. And there's these religious people. They're trying to trap him, trying to test him. And he's, they're coming to him with the most cleverest plot that they can think of. It's interesting to note when people come to Jesus, their attitude of their heart very much depends on Jesus' response. Jesus was able to discern their hearts. And sometimes if we come to God with the thought, look at me. You know, I, I, I was christened in Ely Cathedral. I was brought up a Christian. I never remember a time that I wasn't a Christian. You know, I'm coming to God and say, look at all the things I've done. Look how I've followed you. And you can imagine Jesus going, yes, but what about this, 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 and this? But if you come to Jesus and say, oh, you read this in Luke 18, don't you? The, the, the Pharisee the, and the tax collector, they're different approaches 
And Jesus said, Jesus always responds with grace and love and forgiveness to those who realize they need a Savior. And isn't that truth? We want to come to God realizing that we need Him, realizing that we can't do this. And when you do that, grace is always extended. But these self-righteous people, you know, just are still about today, maybe with the attitude that who's, who are you to tell me what's right and wrong? Judging ourselves by our own set of standards, denying that there's some absolute moral law. And this test came to Jesus uh, because they brought this woman who was caught in adultery. And they thought they'd had him. They thought, ah, gotcha. Because Moses, we know, John wrote, uh, brought the law, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Moses brought the law, we know that, because of the sin. And that provided God's guidelines. But there was a problem because even if you failed in the minutia of the law, you were guilty of the lot of it. And you were made a sinner and then sentenced to death. And even though the Israelites, they were the people of God, they had the law. But time and time again, you read in, in, in Judges and in, in Kings, they just kept doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And eventually, you know, they were exiled out of the land. And one of the major things, or in the grand scheme of things, one of the areas that the Jewish people failed again and again was worshiping false gods. This, this idolatry is something that God could not put up with. You read Deuteronomy and it says that you put the Lord God first and foremost, and you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And of course, Jesus picks that up later on when he summarizes the law. But being the people of God meant loving God, serving God only with their entire being. And some might say, well, listen, we don't have that problem today. You know, we're not sacrificing animals to, to Molech or, or one of the fa false gods. You know, we're not setting up golden calves or anything like that. But do we put God in our lives first and foremost? Idolatry, like most sin, the word sin has the word I, the letter I right in the middle of the word. Uh, it's a heart issue. And it's not about whether we physically bow down to some statue. It's are we putting God first in our heart? Jesus said, you know, your lips say one thing, but your hearts are far from me. What I'm after is your heart. What I'm after is a connection. And if you're feeling like you're a sinner and a failure inside, you know, our hearts then can be cut off from God, not because he's cut us off, but because in ourselves we're just so self-conscious or we're sin-conscious and God wants us to be God-conscious and, and righteousness-conscious instead of sin-conscious. Jesus said it's an attitude of the heart. So he equivalents sins like murder and adultery with hate and with lust. Back to our story in John 8. They're self-righteous. They come to Jesus, question him, putting him in this situation, thinking that they've got one up on him. This was the ultimate test. And if he condemns this woman caught in adultery, then he has to throw stones. If he doesn't condemn her, then he's breaking the law. But instead, instead, Jesus just simply bends down and begins writing on the ground. They constantly question him and he stays silent until he says, any one of you that has not sinned cast the first stone. And slowly people began walking away. Jesus writing on the ground. 
he looks up and he says to the woman here in verse 10, Jesus raised again and asked her and said, Woman, where are they? Has no one judged you guilty? She answered, No one, sir. And then Jesus says, I also don't judge you guilty. You may now go, but don't sin anymore. Technically, Jesus was the one without sin. So technically, he could have taken up the stone. However, he shows mercy. He shows the character of God as Moses revealed in Exodus 34. The character of God which describes God's mercy and forbearance with us. I want to close with just a couple more thoughts. You know, God's forgiveness opens the door, but we still have to walk through it. And we do this by trusting in God for our salvation. And as we do, God gives us a new life. And as we do this, God opens up his love into our hearts, and he gives us a fresh start. And this gateway then is open to our innermost being and allows the love of God and forgiveness to begin to flow both ways. In our example with the woman, you know, we see her hurt and we see her hurting others. And Jesus allows her the chance to be healed. And then he warns her, maybe even empowers her not to continue into a life that is causing hurt to yourself and to others. And in our first example, the paralyzed man, he encounters Christ looking for a healing. And Christ is able to both, is willing and able to both heal him and forgive him. And he walks away a new person, forgiven, healed, and restored. It's interesting to note that neither of these asked Jesus for forgiveness. Neither of these said sorry. Maybe that's a discussion for another time. But Jesus makes a way for them to walk free, even without them asking. Christ, as the Son of Man, as he calls himself, demonstrates the divine power in both healing and compassion. And the grace of God that we find for ourselves today is not dependent on how bad our past has been, whether it was our fault that we got into the situation that we're in. It is in the nature and character of God to be merciful and full of compassion. So how do we receive this divine forgiveness? How do we receive forgiveness from God? First is we come to God with a humble heart, not with pride, not with self-righteous attitude, not saying, well, I deserve this, I deserve that, not claiming that we're a good person, not claiming um, that it's not my fault, not trying to blame others, but acknowledging that we need a Savior, acknowledging that we cannot be right with God by our own efforts. It, additionally, we take hold of the promises of God that through Christ we have been forgiven of all our sins, and we have been redeemed. We have redemption. What does that mean? We're coming out of our old destructive life, and Christ has given us and empowered us to receive this empowerment of his spirit because we receive his love, his nature, and his ability to walk out the new life and to live as a fully flourishing human being. John writes in 1 John that 
we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a forgiving and there's a cleansing that's available to us. We look to the one who is just and faithful. He, you know, confessing our sins is a way of reminding ourselves what Christ has done. It's not some kind of penance. It's not some kind of walking on our knees kind of confession or begging. But it's actually reminding ourselves, reminding everyone that wants to listen that Christ has provided a way for us to live as these new human beings. And it's a way to live. Forgiveness is a walk. You can walk in forgiveness just as you can walk in love. And when his divine forgiveness changes our nature, he transforms us. And that's the transformation power that is the new creation. Paul would say, I'm no longer what I used to be. When I've come to Christ, I am a new creature. I'm a new creation. My old life is gone. Behold, something new has happened. And the way I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I tell you, there's only one way to live, and that's living in the love of God living in the forgiveness of God, living as these flourishing human beings, walking in the path of forgiveness, standing with confidence, not arrogance, that all our sin has been forgiven and that we are cleansed by what Christ has done for us. That's the new life. I want to live that life, that new life. How about you? Wow, you're quiet this morning. You want to live the new life? You know, there's a word, it's a religious word, it's called repentance. And what that means is a turning around, a complete turnaround. God wants to give us a complete turnaround in our lives. Maybe you've been walking the path of destruction. Maybe you've been walking and you've hurt others and you yourself have been hurt. And God says, I want to forgive you and I want to heal you and I want to restore you. Now turn to me. Leave that old life behind. Jesus says, I do not judge you guilty. Go, your sins are forgiven. Now keep following me. Leave the old life that's hurting others. Leave that behind and come into the new life and the new creation that I have for you. Amen.